All right, students, we're going to begin with Lecture 7 of Dante's The Divine Comedy 2019, The Gate of Dis and The Heretics. We're going to start not with the beginning, but with the pre-beginning, what we went over last time very quickly. As you know, we talked about Circle 4 and how it is split into two. We saw Plutus, Pape Satan, Pape Satan, Alape. I guess I can show you a picture of Plutus really quick. Lee. We saw the uh, the money grubbers and the wasters, the avaricious and the prodigal, those being the same things, moving boulders across a semicircle, never to reach a full perspective. We interpret that allegorically to mean that these people blame others for their problems, and therefore, since they don't see the problem in themselves, they never attain a full perspective on their sin, and they never will because they are now denied the good of the what because they are in hell. Who remembers this? The intellect. Always the intellect. Be thinking about that. Remember also we had a sl slight disquisition on Fortuna, Lady Fortuna. Fortune is a lady for Dante. This is based on a work of philosophy called Boethius's Consolation of Philosophy as well as on the work of Herodotus. The idea being that you never know what's coming for you. That said, we will soon find out that the spirits in hell can see the future, though does it do them much good? Does them absolutely zero good because they're no longer what? Alive! And they're denied the good of the intellect, so even if they can see the future, what can't they do about the future? change it. And that's the big difference between them and us. Very good. So, we talked about that. Notice the rota fortuna. I see that Latin uh, phrase. We talked about it being the wheel of fate. Then I asked you which, uh, which game show is based on it. We said Jeopardy. The answer is probably wheel of fortune, however, but that was a good guess. It comes on right before. In any case, we then got to the second circle that, had, that is split into two. The final circle of upper hell before we get to this that was the circle of the wrathful and the sullen remember that the wrathful and the sullen are within the second river of hell the river <laughs> sticks our second uh ferryman that approaches us and yells at us he he actually says some stuff like let's see uh now you are caught foul soul and then as usual Virgil says, oh, Phlegias, Phlegias, such a shout is useless. This time, my master said, we're yours no longer than it will take to cross the muddy sluice. And just as one who hears some great deception was done to him and then resents it, so was Phlegias when he had to store his anger. What sinful emotion does he feel and then embody by resentfully storing his anger inside? Yes. He is sullen. Very good. He sits with it. Be like if I were like, bah, 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 and then you're like, I don't even like him, Mr. Schmidt. Huh. Exactly. That's being sullen. In any case, back to this. The angry. They have a slightly different punishment from the sullen. Remember, they're at the top of the water. You can see them. Just like you can see when someone's angry. Because they're lashing out. Either with words, blah, 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 or with fists. Bang, 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 smash. Like one of those old, any of you ever seen one of those old Batman and Robin shows where it's like, blam, bang. Snap! No, you should definitely watch one of those old ones just to see those effects. They're terrible. In any case, the angry are striking each other at the top of the Stygian Marsh. Remember, the Stygian Marsh is just another way of saying the river sticks, but it's very marsh-like, so it doesn't seem to have much flow to it. In any case, the sullen, they are beneath the surface. We cannot see them. We can only know they are there because of the bubbles rising up to the surface. Those bubbles either come from them screaming impotently into the water, screaming impotently into the water if you didn't understand that, or because of uh, them boiling over. They're so hot-headed that uh, steam is rising from their heads and creating bubbles in the water. Know that the sullen are slightly differently 
punished from the angry. Alright, we then have an event. There aren't a ton of events which happen during the course of the Divine Comedy, but most of the ones that do happen happen in the Inferno, some in the Purgatorio, and many fewer in the Paradiso, because things always go according to plan in the Paradiso, which makes sense, and you'll understand that when we get there, we'll talk about the idea of providence. In any case, one of these foul sinners, as, uh, as evaluated by both Virgil and Dante, and, well, of course, uh, Dante's God, because this guy's in hell, tries to jump out of the water because he hears Dante speaking. If he hears Dante speaking and recognizes his dialect, he must speak the same dialect. Something interesting about Dante. We think he speaks Italian, but nowadays we actually say that he speaks and writes in medieval Italian. Uh, a little bit different from the modern dialect. But he thought he spoke Tuscan, which was a dialect. The official language that he would have spoken and written in would have been Latin. And in fact, he wrote multiple works in Latin. De Vulgari Eloquentia, on the vulgar languages, one of which is Tuscan, which he wrote the Divine Comedy in, and La Vida Nuova, as well as Monar Monarchia. Um, uh, La Vida Nuova, I'll have to check whether that was originally written in Latin or Italian. But that said, it was a big achievement of Dante's to write in a dialect which would later become Italian. Uh, it's very similar to what Virgil did for, Rome, for the Latin language for the Romans. They spoke Greek and often wrote in Greek, which was the language of the highfalutin people, the elites. But he wrote his epic in Latin so that it would be Roman. Well, Dante's epic became the great Italian epic. Uh, and in fact, influenced uh, not only Boccaccio and Petrarch in his tradition, but later Geoffrey Chaucer, and uh, who is the father of English literature, who maybe we'll get to read some of this year. We'll definitely get to read... Um, uh, Shakespeare, though. Uh, as said by Harold Bloom, Shakespeare and Dante are the finest minds ever to have existed. And those are two of the minds that you encountered this year, as well as Milton, who's no slouch. In any case, this Filippo Argenti tries to get on the boat. And so what does Virgil do? Let him on the boat? No! Knocks him off the boat with an oar and says, what does he say? Let's say right here. He says right, right here, he says, uh, at which my master quickly shoved him back, saying, be off there with the other dogs. <laughs> that done, he threw his arms around my neck and kissed my face and said, indignant soul, blessed is she who bore you in her womb. Apparently the anger that Dante is feeling is a legitimate anger. I think we talked about that. And when in the world, he was presumptuous, there's no good to go, blah, 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 blah. Uh, How many up above now count themselves great kings who will wallow here like pigs in slime, leaving behind foul memories of their crimes? And I, oh, master, I'm very eager to see that spirit south with this broth before we've made our way across the lake. Apparently Dante is feeling some anger too, but this is justified anger. This is anger that is within the me, whereas Filippo and all the people in the river sticks felt unjustified, un, uh, unrestrained anger. That's the proper way of saying that. Alright, in any case, let's get to the city of Des Cantos 8 and 9, and then hopefully we get to 10 and 11, where the heretics are. We're going to run into the Furies of Medusa here. Uh, I'll potentially mention the heroine of hell again. I'll definitely do that when we get to Cantos 21 and 22 in the Bolgias of Fraud. And I might talk about Theseus, I might talk about Hercules, just a, a little bit. Um, uh, Theseus is like a smaller, weaker version of Hercules. In fact, he, uh, he was considered the Duke of Athens. He's the one who defeated the Minotaur. But he also went down to hell with his friend Pirithos, who stayed in hell. It was Hades at that time. Uh, Hercules actually goes down and saves Theseus when he, during his 11th labor, with, or 12th labor, where, or 10th labor, 10th, 11th, or 12th, 
to go get Cerberus. I'm, I think it's the 12th. I think it is the final one, because he has to get the apples of the Hesperides 11th. And those are both sort of afterlife tasks. Uh, very interesting to think about. In any case, the Gate of Death, Canto's 8 to 9. We have crossed the marsh. We are to the gate to Lower Hell. Lower Hell is called Dis, named after what Lower Hell was called in the Aeneid, Book 6. Dis. Virgil here with Dante meets the fallen angels. These are the angels that fought against God in the war in heaven and were cast down by the archangel Michael alongside Lucifer into the bowels of the earth. Uh, remember, it was the fall of Lucifer that literally created the physical space of hell for Dante. <coughs> well, where are the other fallen angels? Here they are. Do remember. <coughs> the fallen angels differ from the neutral angels. The neutral angels are allowed nowhere. They are allowed not inside of hell, nor are they allowed into heaven. Though there is one similarity between the fallen angels and the neutral angels. They both exist in liminal border spaces. The city of Dis has a gate. They're right at the gate. Where are they? Lower hell or upper hell? The right answer is right in between. Right in between. And that's supposed to mark something. That's supposed to show you that there's a difference between upper hell and lower hell. An important difference. A difference in the sorts of choices that you make. There seems to be some idea underlying lower hell that lower hell encompasses the sins that people choose to make. That people don't uh, just give in in an incontinent way to their emotions. Possibly not true of uh, violence. We'll have to consider that. Certainly true of malice. The circles 8, fraud, and circle 9, malice um, itself. Excuse me, treachery. In any case, Virgil makes a secret sign to the fallen angels. I don't know what it is. Probably something like this. I get to punch. Just kidding. And then he confers with them. We have only seen Virgil succeed so far. He sees uh, Minos, he does what he says. He sees Charon, he does what he says. He sees uh, Plutus, he does what he says. He sees Cerberus, he does what he says. He sees Phlegias, he does what he says. We're getting pretty bored of everybody doing what Virgil says because he says that he has the commandment of God behind him and nobody can stand against that. These fallen angels, after talking to Virgil, run back in through the gate and lock the door. Why? Aren't they supposed to be commanded by the eternal will, too? This requires a little bit of thought. Why are they in hell in the first place? Because they were defiant against the divine. Exactly. Well, now that they are in hell, what are they denied the good of? We've gone over this today. The intellect. So what can't they have done since they got to hell? Changed. So what are they still? Defiant. And yet, even though they were defiant the first time, were not they forced to go down to hell in an act sort of of violence? Yes. Will that be happening again? Yes. But in this moment, we have to sit with it. Virgil and Dante experience a moment of doubt. Dante has trusted Virgil fully, but now Virgil has failed to get him where they're going, and he's stuck in the middle of hell. Imagine how you would feel. Stuck. Right in hell. The middle. This is certainly an allegory for being stuck in the middle of a journey and not knowing the next step. This is certainly an allegory for the petrifying effect of fear. When you are scared and don't know where to go, you stop. <coughs> Boom! What pops up? Three theories. 
from nowhere. They look even sort of like fallen angels. They're often represented as women with bat wings, sort of like how we represent demons these days, as opposed to uh, creatures with dove wings, which is how we represent often angels. And what are the names of these furies? Well, they are the famous furies that we have seen from all the way back in the Aeneid. Alecto, who is the one who threw the uh, serpent pendant at um, the wife of Latinus, uh, Queen Amata. Megara, uh, whose name is the same as one of uh, Hercules' wives. His other wife was Deianira. And Tisiphone as well. They are themselves another unholy trinity. Just as we have seen an unholy trinity in the three vices of Florence, avarice, vice, and pride, so have we seen an unholy trinity in the three consuming mouths of Cerberus, so will we see an unholy trinity in the three sodomites who run in a circle, so now do we see another unholy trinity. And what do they threaten to do? The same thing that Odysseus was afraid of happening to him in Hades in Book 11 of the Odyssey. They say they're going to bring up the Gorgon's head. We know a little bit of mythology and the story of Perseus. What happens when you look at the eyes of Medusa with her sneaky hair? You turn to stone. Well, many people consider that a symbol or allegory for how when you are confronted with something terrifying, it petrifies you. Petrifies you, that comes from the word petros, to turn you to a rock. That means you what? Freeze. You freeze, right. You freeze because you've got to think. They've got to think this through. And so Virgil's like, I, I, I think this, I, it will work. I know it will, but he doesn't understand how it's going to work. How is he going to get past the fallen angels? Well, ah, yes, something I wanted to mention. Something that Dante does as a poet is he will directly address the reader at times. I will, it is one of my goals to show you each time that he does that. I think it's 22 times. But I could be wrong. I was looking for somewhere that told me, and I couldn't find it this weekend. In any way, during this moment, he gives us our first direct address. It is called apostrophe, a turning up from. And so it's like the words are looking up at you. <laughs> Consider, reader, my dismay before the sound of those abominable words. Returning here seemed so impossible. So I just want you to notice that right before we get to what is about to happen, because what happens is this. We hear a sound, and a so-called heavenly messenger approaches. A couple things to note about him. The word uh, angel comes from the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. This heavenly messenger reminds us not only of a Christian angel, but also of the messenger of the gods. Hermes, you say, how? I say, well, recall, in the beginning book of the first book, and the fifth book of the Odyssey, the messenger of the gods, Hermes, is sent down to make his will done on Earth with Calypso, which is sort of its... Calypso's island, Ojiji, is itself sort of an afterlife. Time does not pass there, just like in the Inferno. Well, here we have a father-like god like Zeus, called God the Father, sending down an angel that will have his will be done. Very much a parallel situation. In any case, this heavenly messenger looks around with disdain as he looks down on these angels for the choices that they've made. He notes that the fallen angels are still obdurate, which means uh, uh, hard-minded, hard-headed. They're stubborn. And then he allows Dante and Virgil through the gate. And now we are going to enter into lower 
hell. Well, actually, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the liminal space. Circle six is sort of between upper hell and lower hell. It doesn't really exist within a category, and I'll explain why that is in just a moment. Here's the city of Dis, sort of stenciled in there by Sandro Botticelli. And here, I think, is a very beautiful picture. Here's upper hell, very wide. Here's lower hell beneath it. We'll talk a little bit about the structure of hell to end this uh, class. Also, we get our second direct address, our second piece of apostrophe. Oh, you possessed of sturdy intellects. Are those living or dead people? Living. living, very good. Because the dead are denied the good of the intellect in the inferno. Observe the teaching that is hidden here beneath the veil of verses so obscure. We're doing our best. In any case, the fallen angels guard the gate and will not let the travelers through. Virgil makes a secret symbol and the angels rebuff him. Virgil claims to have been all the way to Circle 9 before helping a necromancer named Eric, so make sure that you know her name. She is also one of the antagonistic sorceresses from Lucan's Pharsalia, which we don't get a chance to read. We then see the three fears, Electro, Tisiphone, and Megara. They threaten to bring up the Gorgon's head, which is Medusa's head, and the heavenly messenger, who is like Hermes and is very much an angel, uh, lets us through to this. Let's talk about heresy and the heretics. This is a good image of the flaming tombs which they exist within. It's like a sauna made of fire. And so it's not a very pleasant sauna. Though it is just about as hot. Or, excuse me, not a sauna, a jacuzzi. It's like a jacuzzi made of fire. And I say it's just about as hot because jacuzzis are obviously very what? Hot. Very good. And you see here, Anastasio Papaguardo. Anastasia? Anastasius? Or Anastasius the Pope. Uh... We were going to see one of our first popes down here in the Inferno. There are four of them. Here we go. Was there a question? Yes. Uh, Eric Tho. Eric Tho. Uh, Similar to the name Eric Thonius, who was the putative father of the Athenians. He supposedly had a snake bottom and a human top and was created from the seed of Hephaestus when he tried to inseminate Athena but failed to. I know. Aren't those Greek stories weird? They're very weird. In any case, that's the one. So, what are we going to see down here? Pope Anastasius, we're going to see him in a little while. We're going to see Farinata and Cavalcanti soon. Farinata is a Ghibelline. Uh, Cavalcanti is a Guelph. They're going to exist in the same tomb, which is obviously, I, I'd say, a metaphor for Florence. Um, and then Virgil's going to explain the lower structure of hell. And I'm going to try and do all of this in about four minutes. So... The heretics. Circle six is the circle of heresy. It is a liminal circle. It exists outside of boundaries because it is on a boundary. This is the only specifically Christian sin. The reason it exists outside of category is because the categorical system that we use to structure the inferno is based on Aristotle's thought of the dispositions of soul that lead one to perdition. Incontinence, Brutishness, or frantic bestiality in your translation, and malice, sometimes called vice by translators of um, Aristotle. Now, Aristotle existed in the 4th century BC, which is four centuries before Christianity. Therefore, could he account for a specifically Christian sin or vice? No. And so that's why this vice or sin exists outside of that scope. So what is the punishment here? Like I told you, these men are in flaming jacuzzis that have tops that will be moved over them so that they will be burning entirely, closed in stone, blind, after the final judgment. The final judgment is a Catholic Christian idea that someday time will end, 
and all souls will be judged. And then we'll receive new bodies. A very interesting idea. Sort of similar to what you see in uh, uh, Virgil's book 6. This sort of idea of the transmigration of the soul of resurrection. Of resurrection. In any case, these men burn endlessly in flaming tombs. Currently they can stick their heads out. Ashes final judgment. The covers will be applied and they will be burned blindly eternally. Ugh. The two figures we are going to meet, as I've said, are Farinata degli Uberti and Cavalcanti di Cavalcanti. Something to know about Cavalcanti di Cavalcanti, besides the fact that he was a Guelph leader and that his son, Guido Cavalcanti, married Farinata degli Uberti's daughter, is that his son, Guido Cavalcanti, was Dante's best friend. And they actually wrote a poem together where they wished that they would one day get taken to a, a world where they would never be separated. As I told you recently, very sadly, they did grow apart. Very sadly, Dante was part of the reason that Guido was exiled. And the same year that Guido was exiled, he died. Though all of that does take place after the Inferno, during the course of the Inferno, Guido Cavalcanti is still alive. In any case, I need to mention just very quickly what's in red there, the Epicureans. Another group of people here are sensualists, hedonists, people who live for pleasure. Epicurus was a Greek philosopher who believed that since you die and are mortal and your soul dies with your body, that you might as well just live for fun and pleasure. And so Dante puts in here amongst the heretics, because obviously if Dante is talking about a place which has an afterlife, he believes in the immortality of the soul. And so there seems to be some idea that the Epicureans had the wrong way of thinking, which led to the wrong way of life, to be a heretical way of life. Instead of giving and sacrificing for those around you, trying to improve the world which will continue on after you die, they just decide to take, 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 and live as good a life as possible. In fact, there is a modern representation of them in the syndicated show by Matt Groening, uh, Futurama. There is a robot called Hedonism Bot, who actually gets carried around in a litter, and I think that's actually part of his body, and eats grapes. And says, In any case, in any case, fair enough, what do you need to know about him? His dates, 12... 12 to 1264. So he existed in the 13th century. He died the year before Dante was born. So he is almost contemporary with Dante just before, the generation before. He is a proud, giggling leader. He's described as being disdainful of his position there in hell, which we'll see uh, a set of Capanius later amongst the violent. He twice defeated, scattered Guelphs and Florence. So two times he as a giggling mounted forces and defeated the Guelphs. In 1248, the Guelphs then returned to Florence. And then at Monteperti, very famously, in 1260, the Guelphs would get back within the next couple years. Actually, when Dante and Farinata are talking smack to each other, Dante says, hmm, even though you won, my team, the Guelphs, were really good at coming back. The last time we expelled you, however, at the Battle of Campaldino, you've never come back. That said, the, the Ghibellines do end up coming back and reoccupying Florence, I believe, during the 13 uh, teens, like 13, 15 or so, but I have to get that date down. That's not exactly right. In any case, Farinata used a Sienese alliance to win the second battle against the Florentines. The Sienese did not like the Florentines. When they defeated them, they wanted to sack and burn their city. One thing that Farinata did, that he is considered uh, uh, by Dante as having done well, is that he kept the Sienese from destroying the city entirely. And so, though he is a heretic, though he lives in this tomb, it is very much the case that uh, he did do something kind for his city. He seems to believe in civic duty. 
though his major focus is on family. And something said sometimes about the Ghibellines, so this is not hard and fast, is that they were the noble party, not necessarily true. And so uh, Farinata really cares about who Dante's family is because he wants to know whether he's a noble, whether he's a Ghibelline. He cares about his politics. It would be like somebody meeting you and being like, you're a Republican or a Democrat. It's like, that's a weird first question to ask somebody. Maybe you want to say, how's your day going first? Or what's your name? In any case, that's not how it goes here. Now, Farinata then describes something that the souls in hell can do. And I suppose this is just where we're going to have to stop today because we're not going to be able to get farther. Apparently, the souls in hell, as I mentioned earlier to you, can see the future. There's a term for this. It comes from two Greek words. Hyper, from which we get the word super, which means over. And apia, from which we get the word optics. Your ability to see, from the Greek word ops, which means eyes. So, overseeing. Well, really this means to see ahead, to see the future. The souls in hell can see the future. Why? Because it causes them great pain. Why? Because though they can see the future, they can do nothing to change it. It, would do, it does them no good because they, like we've said, theme of today, are denied the good of the intellect. That said, they can use their ability to see the future to talk to a living person. Which living person? Dante. And Farinata tells him something very useful, which is this. Someday, you will learn what it's like to be exiled just like my people. And well, that's all we have time for.